On the air. I requested that <laughs> because uh, driving the kids to the city pool yesterday, first time of the year, and we were all saying we're going to the pool. <laughs> and it reminded me of our favorite clip from last year, those two girls sitting there watching some lady shaving her legs in the city pool. Oh, boy. What the hell? Oh, she's <laughs> shaving her legs in the pool. <laughs> all right. Oh, that was fantastic. What was our big clip of yesterday, too? Catchphrases come and go too quickly around here. We need to have, like, an official doctrine, a chart, a flow chart. That's what we need. We do need a flow chart. So, uh, Donald J. Trump kicked off his campaign. He's running for president in 2020. Of the United States? Yeah, he's already president, so they called a re-election campaign. Huh. And he had a goal, they had a goal of raising $7 million in the first 24 hours because they wanted to best the record-setting numbers of uh, Beto, who raised $6.1 million in day one. Boy, how silly do you feel you gave him $100 now? (laughs) Bernie raised $5.9 million, and then Biden set the record at about $6.3 million. So Trump set a goal of raising $7 million in the 24 hours. And the numbers are out, and he raised $24.8 million so just in the first 24 barely. hours, which is just uh, 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 people who follow this sort of thing are saying it's just staggering and jaw-dropping. They don't know what it means. Um, I, I don't know what it means either. It means re-election. We'll see. We'll know. see. There's a hell of a lot of time. To what extent? Over 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 a threshold of getting to stay in the race, I'm not sure how much money makes any difference at this right. point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly. It helps paying your bills and that sort of stuff, but whether you win or not, I'm not sure it makes that much difference. That's amazing. But so we've got some from last night's rally, and I was was glad that Sean grabbed this because I thought this was pretty interesting. This was one of those Trump just kind of thinking out loud, talking about things, you know, because he read some stuff from the teleprompter about the economy and stuff like that, but he ad-libbed the majority of his hour and a half that he was on stage. And um, uh, and and, th- and this was some of it, and I thought it was interesting through and through. They called you and us. You remember this? They called us deplorables. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake. I'll never forget, I was making a speech after Hillary used the word deplorables. And I didn't think it was that bad. You know why? She used another word. You know what the other word was? She said deplorables and irredeemables. I think that was worse, but it didn't get picked up. You never know what's going to get picked up. It didn't. I think irredeemables is worse than deplorables, but I'll never forget, I was making a speech the next day. We had a big crowd in a great, great state. And women in particular were wearing, we are deplorables. The deplorables love you. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people Wearing We Are Deplorables. And I said, I think Hillary Clinton made a big mistake with that speech. Hmm. 
And that is the problem with politics. One word and your career is ruined. You never know. You have to be very careful with the fakers back there. I thought that was interesting that, <laughs> that he talked about that. Yeah. And then, then that part at the end. That's the problem with politics. One word. Yeah. So he's kind of coming to her defense on that, but just saying, but that's the way it works. So, well, and the idea of Trump ruminating over, you know, irredeemable. I mean, that really suggests that a person's far gone. I find that far more objectionable than deplorable. But all the T-shirts say deplorable, so clearly that's the word that's going to stick. So we're going to go with that. Yeah, I just, it's funny. I don't picture Trump. You know, mulling that over, but obviously he did. Well, he's a he is a populist through and through, and he is a read the room guy. Yeah, and uh, that that's what he does. That's yeah, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, one word. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's way we're... Although he's made a career of throwing out so many ridiculous things that nothing will stick. I mean, seriously, that him announcing the other day, and I say this, you know, not as a as a like partisan beast, but. As just somebody who's observed politics for a very long time now, his announcing that ICE was going to round up millions of people. What was that? Oh, that you know, that's funny. You mentioned that. I kind of saw the headline, and normally, like five years ago, with different presidents, I would have immediately gone to the internet. They said what? I didn't even like take the time to look into it because I just figured it was right. He just said something, it's and Trump maybe being Trump. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. It's kind of sort of true eventually. Maybe he's going to follow through on it. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an absurd thing to say. I mean, it's either what you just described is just Trump indicating that he's still on the case, or. If it is accurate, he's just disclosed a police operation before it happens, which is really not kind of the way things are done. Rounding uh, up millions of illegals? Right. Yeah, so, that's not going to happen. Uh, right. And, yeah, it's just nuts. But, no, I didn't even... Well, I, so, I said to myself, yeah, you ought to look into that eventually today. <laughs> well, to, to cut through, um, AOC has to say they're concentration camps, and the Trump says we're going to round up all the illegals and ship them out and right. arrest them. Right. To cut through, to, to indicate, she was indicating, I really care about this situation, don't think it's okay. Right. He was indicating, I care about this situation and don't think it's okay. It's the age of uh, hyperbole and tribal signaling. we got a couple of texts I wanted to get on real just, fast. Just real quick, if you're not familiar with the concept, if, if you say something reasonable and moderate, you've kind of sort of signaled you're in a tribe with somebody. If you go way out there and you say... The uh, ICE detention centers are concentration camps. You've really signaled, I'm in your tribe, anti-Trump. So that's why people say crazy stuff like that. It's a hell of a way to run your politics. Two texts that we got about our podcast from yesterday. Uh, one saying, I, re-ra- I rewound the One More Thing podcast about four times to hear Joe's F-bomb. Hilarious. Yeah, Joe oh, you left that in, did you? Oh, that's, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. That's, uh, that could doom my libertarian uh, candidacy for the president. <laughs> Just one word. That's all it takes. Right, one word. <laughs> and mine happened to be a four-letter one. And this from the podcast, we brought this up later in the program. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you didn't. So companies uh, ask people what they would like for summertime as a perk. Oh, yeah. And what most people would like is like flexible hours or getting off early on Friday. What companies are going to give you is a potluck or a, or a company picnic. Or a stick in the eye. Or, <laughs> or we've announced short sleeve Thursday. Everyone can wear short sleeves. And even though I wish they were more popular because I think they're nice community things. What? Short sleeves? Potlucks and company picnics oh. rank at the bottom when you give right. people a choice of yeah. what they want. Yeah. 
Can I just get can I get off at three on Fridays instead of going to the potluck? But anyway, so we got this text. Podcast listener here, our ex CEO, hooray, he's gone. Used to have our office summer party at his house with pool and mandatory attendance. Now you gotta love mandatory attendance to oh. boost the old spirit. Nothing says fun like you gotta be there. <laughs> One year he made it required for all employees to wear a swimsuit. Oh boy. There'd be the you Oh, boy. Depending on your physique and the physique of the others in your workplace, it depends on how you feel about that. Maybe you're excited, maybe you're not. That is tone deaf to the point of there needs to be a different word uh, or term. That's just lunatic. I have to show up in front of my coworkers in my swimsuit. Oh. Uh, HR loved that one. K-G-A-Y, this is her sign-off. K-G-A-Y-P-F-F-S. Keep, <laughs> keep giving away your podcasts for free, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really like. Ah, oh, boy. We have good stuff on the way, which is... Oh, I don't remember. Um, You can oh. get the podcasts wherever podcasts are. Yeah. If, if you can't find them, drop me an email, I'll tell you. Or just ask a young person. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm good. I'm pretty busy. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Joe predicted correctly the days of watching Major League Baseball games not through a net are probably over. The Chicago White Sox are the first team to extend protective netting all the way down the, uh, all the way to the foul poles. So if you're sitting in those lower seats, you will be looking through a net. The foul pole, which legendary sportscaster Warner Wolf pointed out, is actually the fair pole. Mm. If it hits the pole, it's fair. I love stuff like that. I know it. <laughs> yeah, I want to hug him for that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're going to be looking through a net. So after a hundred years of not having a net there, we're going to have a net there. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm not sure I have the energy, but you know, it's, it's tragic. Some little kid gets oh, hit. It's sure, absolutely it horrific. I, you know, I don't know. Thirty teams, you. 162 games a year. Hundred years of baseball hasn't always been that many teams, and no, no, right. always been, but Certainly. a gazillion games. Yeah. Every once in a while, you're going to have a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, Boy, I love baseball, though. Man, I love watching baseball. Wish I was watching baseball right now. Flip a game on, Sean, would you? Um, Let's see. So, uh, speaking of American institutions, uh, Boeing is trying to get their 737 MAX jetliner back in the air. Boeing! <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh, and obviously you're up on that story, right? You got the, well, you might just be partially up on it. Boeing redesigns their uh, 737 to get better gas mileage, more efficient, because uh, that's super attractive to air carriers. That's ner- the number one cost is fuel. It's all about the fuel, I learned from my pilot friend. Right. And so they raise the engines up a little higher on the wing for some reason. Don't ask me. I'm already at the limit of my aeronautical knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> more a word guy than an algorithm guy. Oh, yeah, guy. that gives you more of the, uh, the, the low pressure under the wing there, Norman. you got to have thrust. thrust <laughs> it's all about thrust. Thrust versus lift. Right. You get, Well, you got to thrust, then you lift. So anyway. It's the way uh, I do it. But then the, that had a tendency to make the nose go too high, so they installed the system that would lower it so the plane wouldn't stall and crash to the earth. Well, as it turns out, some pilots weren't very well trained on dealing with it or, or, or turning it off or what have you, and 
So a couple of planes went down. This is a terrible tragedy. Anyway, so they're trying to get this plane back up in the air by dealing with that software problem and the emergency problems and trying to convince the world of aviation that you won't kill all of your customers by buying this thing. And I'm a big fan of Boeing. They're the American commercial jet manufacturer, competes with the Euros, uh, Airbus, and, and there are a couple other companies around the country, uh, around the world, but they don't matter. Anyway, so I'm rooting for Boeing. But this headline in the Wall Street Journal, the latest concern, well, I'll just read it to you. Boeing's latest 737 MAX concern, pilot's physical strength. Turning a manual crank during emergency procedure may be too difficult for some people. And that because is of the modern millennial's grip strength. Hopefully that person isn't the pilot. Well, that's what they're talking about. Jeez, can we get a strong guy up here in the front so we don't crash? They're mostly worried about girl pilots. Because in some circumstances, it's the horizontal panel on the tail. Can you picture that? It's, it can help change the angle of the plane's nose. And if you're flying at high speed with the panel already at a steep angle, it can take a lot of force to move the crank in certain emergencies. And among other things, uh, people familiar with the details said regulators are concerned about whether female aviators or particularly weedy fellas uh, may, uh, may find it difficult to turn the crank in an emergency. They actually throw in that females who typically tend to have less upper body strength than their male counterparts for people who haven't observed that throughout their whole lives. So thank you, Wall Street I, Journal. I, I didn't know there was anything in the modern world that required like strength to do mechanically left. Because everything is, you know, electronic somehow. You press a button and it does it. Right, just, you'd hope. There aren't, there aren't many things on farm equipment or anything that, that is down to strength anymore. Yeah. I was uh, I was doing, you know, a ride-along with the, the coppers. You can do that. Our fire department, which we've done both of and are fascinating. But I was doing a fly-along with the uh, helicopter patrol, sheriff's department. And uh, I had my headset on, my little microphone and everything, and we're talking, they're pointing out the systems and what we're going to do next and how we can look for missing people and all sorts of cool stuff. And then the guys start saying stuff like real briefly to each other that I did not understand. And uh, and, and I believe one of the pilots listens uh, most days, so shout out, man. It was a, a big day. Anyway, so uh, I finally said, what's going on? And they said, well, we're turning around. Because the, uh, the hydraulic system is, uh, well, it's a little funky. I can't remember exactly what he said. And they were having to physically <laughs> move flaps with the strength of their arms to keep the thing flying. And I thought, well, we're all going to die. You might want to text your wife. This is yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Do you have a wife? Uh, now would be a good time to stay in touch. It's so good for a marriage, isn't it? Do it now. Your affairs in order? <laughs> so, <laughs> how do you feel about plunging? Uh, but no, they 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 got it back home. But yeah, it was it, clearly there was physical strength required. But so can you imagine your fate is determined by how beefy your pilot is? I would think you'd get the strength at that point. I guess one of those mom lifting the car yeah. off the, uh, the the kid uh, moments. Hey. Um, anyway, I'm rooting for Boeing. But uh, oh, and they they actually got a letter of intent signed to. Uh, sell a bunch of them to the British conglomerate. So I hope that deal goes through. Uh, I we, hope you can keep your planes in the air. We got this text. It's so obvious. I, I, I apologize. This is the sort of thing I kind of pride myself on catching, but did not. This is your hallmark? Uh, I don't know if it is, but I work at it. Um, left out one point with Trump raising $24 million in the first 24 hours versus Biden's seven, Beto's four, Bernie's six, whatever it was. Mm. 
That's one Republican running against a field of people that the money oh, is split between. Sure. Obviously, apples and oranges. I mean, it's yeah. obvious. To compare the two and, and act like it means anything, only a stupid person would do. And I did. Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah. You probably yeah. put oranges in your applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> I made apple pie. This tastes like oranges. Now, there's some oranges in it. Uh, but so, obviously, yeah. All the all the Republican hopes and dreams for president are in one guy. So if you're going to donate, okay. Except for old, uh, what's his name? Bill Weld. Bill Weld. (laughs) Google is putting up a billion dollars to fight the housing crisis in the in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh yeah, this is this this is either because they're really good people who want to make the world a better place, or because (laughs) they're coming under such. Uh, fire from all all corners of causing this. I don't think they did cause this, but or or who cares anyway? But uh, you know the things are going to happen. Um, well, and if the greatest anyway, trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he doesn't exist, then Google's greatest trick is convincing the world they're not evil. It's even in their little slogan as they perpetrate evil. It used to be. I think they took that down from their uh, their headquarters. Too ironic. <laughs> they're like, well, we gotta what we was, gotta relook at this policy. What was their slogan? Do no evil. Google I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. They had it on their little lobby. There was like a and fountain there. And, and a... so you're saying the fact that they mentioned it at all means they're in the the dark arts? <laughs> well, yeah, and I have a feeling there are a lot of, uh, at, at the very least, coldly practical considerations uh, behind their in their lovely and generous gift. Gotcha. We can talk about <laughs> yeah. that a little bit later on. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, we've got some more Trump rally highlights. They will continue. How your dog has learned to manipulate your emotions. And By we, being a good boy. <laughs> and we have a Bieber Cruz Octagon match update. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, my God. And Lon Heechen, our favorite political commentator, coming up a little bit later this hour. So I hope you can stay tuned. That's all on the way on the arm. What are we going to talk to him about? We'll have to come oh, up with I got a good idea. Joe's got an idea. Armstrong and Getty. So Lon He Chen, who we really like, talking about politics coming up, and he's got a podcast you should be aware of if you're into politics, because he's a politics, because he's a good, reasonable dude and smart. Um, but right now, the news with Marsha Phillips. All right, we got President Donald Trump announcing his re-election bid with a speech last night claiming that a vote for Democrats in 2020 is a vote for what he's calling radical socialism and the destruction of the American dream. Trump lighting up thousands of people packed into a Florida arena last night. They want to end Medicare as we know it and terminate the private health insurance of 180 million Americans who love their health insurance. America will never be a socialist country, ever. It was an enthusiastic yes. crowd. So I just heard a CNN pundit say, and I thought this was pretty good. For people who are saying it was the same old stuff from his rallies, who has never gone to a concert and what you want to hear is the greatest kit hits? Nobody's excited when they say, here's something from my new album. And that is very true. I think that's a little what you're getting with the Donald Trump show. Indeed. 20... You're going for a show more than I want to hear his particular policies. No doubt about it. Right. Yeah. I can I can specifically remember. It's funny. I can see the look on his face. 
paying a lot of money to go see Elton John years ago, and he right. said, "Here's something from my new album." And I just thought, "Oh, you got to be kidding!" <laughs> you got like forty great hits. <laughs> Come on! I don't want to hear anything. From he wants album. to play his new song. No, I'm, going the, I'm going to the bathroom. You know, another aspect of it. As the lights go down, and uh, you know, you know, the show's about to begin, and the crowd roars and everything. You're not just excited because the the music's about to start. The roar of the crowd, the, that energy yeah. is really, really exciting. Oh, yeah. And Trump's rallies generate that like crazy, so people can't wait to go. I mean, those 20,000 people were a fifth or a sixth of the number of people right. who officially applied for tickets, according to, you know, Trump's people. So, you know, there may be a little hyperbole there as well. But Oh, are we going to talk about the fact that it's an enormous uh, cache of voter information. Yes. Because they have you yeah, register and the rest of it. And right. Email oh, really? addresses. I didn't and, know that. Oh, yeah. And, and then, the game is turnout. Oh, yeah. Turnout. Well, you should ask sure. Lonnie Chen about that. Yeah. Because sure. it, it, it seems to me turnout's got to be 90% of the game come election day. Doesn't matter how much somebody likes your policies if they don't go vote. Right. An independent U.N. report into the killing of the Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi has found credible evidence to warrant further investigation into the possible role of the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Well, knock me down with a feather. And they suggested sanctions on his personal assets. I'll never understand this story. I just don't get it. There are regimes killing journalists around the world today as there have been forever. Why does this one stand out as mm-hmm. notable? Journalists and just dissenters. And uh, what's the what's the term I'm looking and for? And this particular journalist is an Islamist. He's unhappy yeah. that they're not more of an Islamist country. I just I don't get it. I'm not for chopping people into bits. No, no, indeed. But but all kinds of countries do this, particularly Turkey and China and China, yeah. right? China. Right. Turns out dogs can make human hearts melt, and most of it is in their eyes. There's a new study that has found irresistible puppy dog eyes are actually a product of evolution. And, yep, they were designed to manipulate us. And they do. University of Portsmouth researchers found that while modern dogs have developed small muscles around their eyes, which allows them to raise their eyebrows. Do they have the name of that muscle? I heard that the other day. No, they don't. It doesn't matter. It's the eye-raising muscle. Go on. Right. Anyway, wolves have nearly zero comparable muscles. Wow. Now, that I find that interesting. So wolves can't make puppy dog eyes. Huh. And here's an interesting revelation. And over over gazillions (laughs) of years of evolution... The dogs that did the best and had the most baby right. stuff like that were the ones that Got were able to, to make that that face. Right, right, right. Where you'll do practically anything. <laughs> here's, okay, here's, fine, you can have my food. Yeah, yeah, right. Here's a nutty revelation for you. Baxter, my dog, doesn't do that. And it took me a while to get used to the fact that he has a look. Because you have a wolf hybrid. You're into that. Well, he's not a hybrid, really. He's just, just a wolf. A wolf. Just a wolf. <laughs> I have, uh, well, I have a pack of wolves. I'm, uh, I'm like, uh, what's her name from uh, Theranos? What's that young woman's name? Elizabeth Holmes. Who uh, claims to have a wolf. Uh, <laughs> she actually just has like a freaking husky, but tells everybody, no, it's a wolf. It's a real wolf. That's not too nuts. Anyway, Baxter doesn't do that. And it took me a while to get used to when he's looking at you in a situation where, like, my old Black Lab, uh, Onyx, would give you the full-on, oh, I love you so much, look. 
Baxter's just sure, looking. I chewed up your shoe, but I feel so bad about it. How could you be mad at me? Look at me. I would give you a thousand shoes to take that moment back. He says with his look. Baxter just looks at you like, what's next? What are you looking at? He's just got a very neutral expression. Cold eyes, and like it, a doll's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and it it took me a while not to react like, you know, you go to hug your wife and she gives you like to get away from me thinking, what's wrong? Whoa, wait, ho, oh, I'm getting some weird emotional signals. It took me a while to realize that I was like being put off like he was being hurtful to me because he doesn't have that look. So I've had to just get used to the fact. Hugs have no facial expressions whatsoever, which is really weird to get used to. You're right with a dog because really? you're used to really being able to read a dog. They're so Nothing. expressive, yeah. Happy, angry, tired, what doesn't matter. No expression whatsoever on that lack of face they have. Hard for me to understand the appeal. <laughs> Hugs every expression is this. Is it hard to breathe for anyone else in here? <laughs> yeah. Why did you breathe me so I can't breathe? Oh, wow. I shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, in this part of the octagon, we have 25-year-old Justin Bieber standing 5 foot 9 inches tall. And over here, the 56-year-old Tom Cruise standing 5 foot 7. Word is, do not rule out a Bieber-Cruise fight in the UFC. That's according to... I I won't. They're 5'7 and 5'9". Yes. That's according to Dana White, who tells TMZ Sports there's a very real chance the two could actually throw down in the octagon after Bieber tagged the UFC president in a Twitter post last week calling out uh, Cruz. White says, ah, he blew it off initially until he got some phone calls from real guys connected to the superstars. Who said that they really do want to do this fight and they believe that Tom Cruise would do the fight. And I told them... Well, I'll tell you this. If that's true, if that's true and everybody involved in this thing really wants to do it, we can talk. There you go. But you see, the thing is, I would watch. Are you going to tell me you wouldn't watch? How could you not? Tom Cruise is currently older than Wilford Brimley was when he started the movie Cocoon about senior citizens reclaiming their youth. Wow. just, Just remember that. Wow. And I also think Tom Cruise would win the fight. Bieber's pretty ripped. Bieber is ripped. Yeah. Tom Cruise is insane and has a death wish. Well, <laughs> well that is a credential when you're in the octagon. Plus, he has his Scientology secrets. <laughs> well, yeah, he's seen the secret stuff. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm strong at getting show that conscience of that nation. Hey, here's an interesting way to look at it. He'd unleash the Satan space beams right at him. If I had to fight one of them, I'd easily choose Bieber over Tom Cruise. Really? I think oh, so, yeah. 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 Why? Well, he just he just doesn't seem like uh, anybody with any fight in him. Bieber? Yeah. The what are you calling him, a Nancy boy or Yes, what? I am. I think oh, Bieber could geez. outlast me in a spin cycle class, but I think <laughs> I would lose a fight to Tom Cruise quicker. How interesting. Yeah. Well, if you had to fight one of them, who would you choose? Oh, you'd, the older guy. You'd fight Tom Cruise. I think so. Tom Cruise, like, he, he insists on doing all of his own stunts in yeah. movies. He learned how to fly a helicopter in like two weeks. Like yeah. if, if you give him six months to prepare for a fight, you're... He's going to come in like plus, the Terminator. Plus, Bieber just strikes me as the kind of guy that would say, Oh, that hurts! Oh, that really, really hurts! Oh, you, you, this was a real fight. <laughs> well, I have no idea how tough he is, but we've got a great, great political analyst, uh, Lon He Chen, coming up in moments. And you say you have good questions? Oh, yeah. 
Sure, as far as you know, I do. Something about Trump? <laughs> no. All right. No. That's next. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty Show. We'll have to get into this heavy next hour. The uh, New York Times just released. This just came across. It's pretty good. It's 18 questions with all the Democratic candidates. And they're questions from who's your hero? Who's your daddy? How much sleep do you get? And also this question of should anyone have a billion dollars? And it's interesting to go through all 18 people in a row. There are people, there are a number of them saying, no, no one should ever have a billion dollars. Really? Including Beto O'Rourke, yeah. Wow. No one should ever have a billion dollars. Wow. And a couple of them saying, of course, this is that's what this country's built on. You work hard, you do well, you can. I mean, that's a pretty stark, different view of the world. It's amazing. Yeah, we'll get into that. Lon He Chen is the host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. He's a David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies, Lecturer of Public Policy at Stanford University, and joins us now. Lon He, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, terrific! You looking forward to the big uh, Democratic Party debates? I've got I've got some popcorn, particularly for the purple debate. Popcorn for purple—that's going to be the fun one. You know, I'm, I was just reading through this 18 questions and thinking this might be a better debate than what we're going to see on the stage because hmm. we've been mocking debates for years, particularly the ones where you got a whole bunch of candidates on stage. There's nothing about the definition of deb- the de- a debate that is met. As each person gets to talk yeah. for like a minute, often on different topics. So I don't even know yeah. what we're doing. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, having prepared uh, Marco Rubio or helped, helped prepare Marco Rubio in 2016 for that candidate debate, which was, you know, multi-candidate affair, and Mitt Romney in 2012 in the primaries, that was also a multi-candidate affair. You're not preparing your candidate to give a substantive answer necessarily. You're preparing them to, to you know, have a zinger or have something that people will remember, a memorable line contrast. I mean, it, it's really not about the substance. It's really about performance art. And that's what this is. And so when, when you have 10, 11 people on stage in a 90-minute debate, even a two-hour debate, how much talk time can each person have? Not a whole heck of a lot. And, and so much of it, it and then I hate the media because at the end of it, they say, who won? What? It's Are a singer talk- contest. You just say, who I won? I that description. But um, uh, it, it rewards being glib in front of a crowd, which is not really what the job requirement is. You don't need to be glib in front of a crowd in the Oval Office to make decisions. And, you know, it's not surprising that Trump would do well at that. He's really, right. really good at that sort of thing. That's exactly right. So we have a political system now that rewards the wrong kinds of, of skills, right? I mean, if you think about the skills that we prioritize in our election and campaign process, these aren't necessarily the skills that we want in a commander-in-chief. But, you know, it's the process we have, and the debates are, are perfectly emblematic of that. And by the way, there's no debate we're going to see between now and next March that's going to be any different. They're all going to be these multi-candidate scrums where everybody's trying to get out there for a line they can deliver on TV and try to be memorable, and, and, and to expect it to be different because it's a different network is, is silly. We're going to have the same debate over and over and over again until the field narrows. Then it gets more interesting, right? When you have a two- or three-person debate, then it gets a little more interesting. But with 10, 11 people on stage, forget it. I would hope that they could draw contrasts like the one I was just talking about that's in the New York Times now, where you've got some people who say nobody should have a billion dollars. 
and other people saying, yeah, that's what this country's built on. I mean, that's a stark difference. If he, if they can just bring out those kind of differences, then maybe people have a shot at picking a candidate. Yeah, or, or, or making them answer the question about whether they you know, actually still believe in the free enterprise system, right? Because some of these Democrats have come out and, and, and essentially made their whole campaign platform about poo-pooing capitalism and poo-pooing the, the system, uh, the economic system that's, that's drawn more people uh, upward and out of poverty than any other economic system in the history of man. The question is, do you believe in that or not, right? So it, it would be great to have a substantive debate about some of these questions, but uh, don't hold your breath. Lon He Chen is on the line, host of the podcast, Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. Uh, he made reference to the purple debate. What were you talking about? Well, the, the, uh, the way that they've divided it for this particular debate we're seeing on NBC News, this, this, I think it's this, or actually next week, is, is they've got two groups of candidates. They've got the purple group and the orange group. Now, why they decided on those colors? Why they decided on, on, on using colors in the first place, who knows? But, 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 but essentially, they've got a purple group. And the reason why I'm really looking forward to the purple group is because you've got, you know, you've got people that are, that are essentially many of, the, many of the front runners, as it were, are actually stacked together. So Harris, Biden, Sanders, Buttigieg are all in the same debate. And How did so they manage to do good. that when... When, when the goal, I thought, originally was to specifically avoid that, that's what they did, but whatever. It, it, it's random, but it's random. <laughs> well, do you, if no, you believe I, that. <laughs> yeah. no, so you think they did this on purpose? You think they purposely yeah, put almost all the headliners on one stage except for Elizabeth Warner, Warren? Of, of, of course they did. I mean, of course what that means is Elizabeth Warren has has a much freer line to to, to, to be able to, to have a moment, as it were. Oh, interesting. But, yeah, so I, so they, I missed your sarcasm. You think it's clearly planned out, they're rigging the system again, and you think it's in favor of Elizabeth Warren? I mean, let's not forget, this is about, you know, good television, right? And everyone in the Democratic uh, media elite, recently, at least to me it seems, has been talking about how great Elizabeth Warren is, how, how wonderful of a campaign she's run, how she's the person to watch out for. In my mind, a lot of people would love to see Elizabeth Warren there. Now, I don't think she's the right person for the Democratic Party. I think she loses to Trump in an epic manner. That having been said, you know, it, it would not surprise me if there were some in the media establishment who wanted to see her do well. Well, it's interesting. We we played a clip last week, Donnie Deutsch on MSNBC saying, we all know Elizabeth Warren loses 48 states. And I thought that was something. That's a statement. Well, I, I I happen to think that's you know a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think she does particularly well, and and you know what what I'm kind of increasingly coming to this conclusion about is that I, there are very very few Democrats I think who would actually do well or give President Trump a challenge, and Elizabeth Warren is not one of them. Hey, uh, just a quick question, kind of in the weeds, but uh, I heard it and it intrigued me. Somebody mentioned that the Trump's giant rallies um, are incredible gold mines of voter data. Because you register yeah. and you get your tickets and all. Um, how important is that? Why is it important? Well, it's extremely important because you want to know, first of all, who your supporters are. Because there, there, there's two different uh, forms of outreach in politics. One is mobilization, uh, and, and, and the other is, uh, is persuasion. And, you know, mobilization is easy. Essentially, it's easier because you've got people that you know are for you already. You've just got to get them out to vote. And persuasion is a little bit harder, right? It's people who are on the fence or people who may not be entirely for you. You're trying to convince them to vote for you. The Trump rallies are particularly important from a data perspective because they're getting data on people who support the candidate, who support Donald Trump. 
And now they know exactly who they have to ping to get out to vote when it matters. So they're able to send them text messages and emails and even sometimes phone calls and in-person visits to make sure people show up to vote. And in the, in the, in the political science literature, it's pretty clear, you've got you've to actually bug people to go vote. And it's easier if you know who to bug because it saves you money. You don't have to canvas people who you have no idea who people are. You know exactly who you need to get out to vote. Well, it's funny. I'm picturing some uh, plucky college student probably showing up at my door and saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm watching TV. When are you going to vote? Well, yeah, it's today, isn't it? Yeah, it's today. Get up. <laughs> Ushering me to the polls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's but, but that's what it takes. You know, I mean, that's what a get out the vote operation is about. So the more you know about who your voters are, the better. The, the less time you have to spend guessing, the better. Interesting. Wow. And the rallies are big time, too. He puts on a heck of a show. Do we start to winnow the field after the debates next week? I mean, as of like next Friday morning after two nights of debates, do we see a couple of people get out? I don't know that it's going to happen that quickly, but I, I, I would think after the July round of debates. Because remember, they've got debates in June, July, August, and September. Oh, good Lord. So I, 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 I would think after the, maybe not after the very first debate, but certainly in, in July and August, yeah, I, I would expect us to be down, you know, three or four candidates to probably come out by then. You know, I, I wish we had time to talk about this. Give me 10 seconds on why my girl Tulsi Gabbard can't get any, uh, any traction. She's smart. She's reasonable. Who? Who? <laughs> All right, fair enough. There you go. <laughs> she just I was just going through the should anybody have a billion dollars? She had the best answer of the 18 from my perspective. She's, yeah, very 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 thoughtful and actually on foreign policy. I think she's where a lot of Americans are. So, wow. it's going to be interesting to see if she gets traction. Wow. Lon He Chen, host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen, will have a link at armstrongandgetty.com so you can find it and listen to always terrific. Lon He, great to talk to you. Thanks. Good to be with you guys. Thanks. Yeah, so he's prepared candidates for debates before and they recognize it's a, it's a glib fest. It's a zinger contest right, or whatever. Right. right. And you got to figure out whether you want to try to hit the home run or just keep your head down and not screw up. Nah, it's home run. Swing. Swing hard for the fences. I hope they do. It'll be more entertaining. Armstrong and Getty.